This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. We've certainly heard lots about highways and, and streets. And, you know, Ted was just talking about this in the news about what's happening in the city of Hamilton and how uh, certain areas have fallen into uh, disrepair. I've also noticed that, you know, because LRT is coming, they're not really touching those routes at all because they're going to tear them up again, I guess. Uh, but that being said, this certainly isn't a new problem, and lots around the city are complaining about uh, potholes and such, and we have had a bizarre winter. There is no two ways about that. You go through the thaw and freeze cycle a couple of times, you're going to get this sort of thing. But it's also a major problem on Highway 6. And, of course, that highway always has, has uh, you know, had difficulties, whether it's one way or the other. And... Um, Here's a note that came into uh, PC MPP for Haldeman Norfolk, Toby Barrett. And, you know, this has got to resonate with a lot of people. I'm sure a lot of you are in this situation. Uh, this note says, I was driving along Highway 6 with my children in my van when the truck in front of me hit one of the potholes, threw a large chunk of asphalt up and hit the windshield. The result was a very large impact mark and crack stretching from one side to the other. Uh, I should also mention this has not only uh, scared me, it scared the kids. This could have come through the window and killed one of us. This is completely unacceptable and a danger, as I have indicated above. Placing a sign that uh, states the road is rough is not an acceptable alternative to repairing this immediately. Uh, My husband has been taken off work on medical leave and has no income. I work part-time as a bus driver. There is no room in our extremely tight budget to repair a window that should have never been damaged in the first place. I'm sure a lot of you can relate to that. Let's bring in Toby Barrett, MPP for Haldeman Norfolk. He is with us now. Toby, thanks for taking the time. We appreciate this. Yeah, thank you, Scott. Yep, there's lots of stories about uh, poor old Highway 6. So let's talk about this. Why is this highway in the shape that it's in? Is it any different than others considering the season that we've had? You know, uh, Provincial Highway 6 is different than the other provincial highways. It was supposed to have been uh, uh, totally reconstructed uh, over two years ago. That did not happen because of uh, archaeological findings. Uh, I assume some native artifacts and some other artifacts. And because of this uh, archaeological dig, if you will, uh, the complete reconstruction of the highway uh, between Caledonia and Hagersville has been delayed over two years. So as a result, and this is unusual for a provincial highway, you, uh, we have this deterioration. I've been an MPP for 22 years, and, uh, you know, I've never had to deal with issues of potholes. That's something that you hear about on, you know, municipal back streets. Mm. So why is this getting to the provincial level? Why, uh, I mean, is this just because this case or or this project has been slowed down or, or stalled in some way? I mean, is this the reasoning behind it? Yeah, I think the real reason is the road has uh, deteriorated so, so much because it's two or three years uh, over its uh, due date. Uh, normally, you don't have to deal with potholes on a, a provincial high-speed high-speed highway. I think it's, what, 80 kilometers for most of the route there. And it is downright dangerous. I drove it last night. I'll be driving it again tonight. In the daytime, you can dodge them. You can dodge and weave. But at night, it, it does get downright dangerous. So uh, what is the significance of the archaeological find, and where is that going? How long is that delay expected? Well, apparently the uh, archaeological uh, findings, as they refer to them, are available now. I'm assuming 
the the dig uh, has been completed over the last several years, and it did hold up the construction, the scheduled construction for several years. So uh, we're told now we're going to get on with it. I'm pushing to find out uh, is the tendering process underway and when are we going to actually see construction? It, ha- it has to be this spring. So there is no detail at this point or plan to uh, to tell anybody when this is going to be fixed? It's still pretty general. I've uh, raised this during question period in the Ontario legislature. Uh, we've been pestering, if you will, the Ministry of Transportation for over a year now, and uh, regrettably, sometimes I seem to get my information from the, the local media. So uh, will there be, or do you anticipate them, or does it need, uh, temporary work before it gets to a full rebuild? Well, yes, we've, uh, we've had a, a full winter of uh, temporary work. The contract was under Carillion. Uh, it's a company that, as I understand it, is... Uh, pretty well run out of uh, money. The, they're under creditor protection, and I think the U.K. parent is uh, under bankruptcy. So uh, we wonder, there, there seems to be one, for all winter, there just seem to be one or two fellows out there with a shovel and some asphalt. They'd run out, uh, you know, after a truck would go by, they'd run out, throw some asphalt in a pothole, jump back out of the way again, a car would go by. Hmm. I hope those guys are getting paid. And I I understand now that a, a local paving company has been brought in to do a proper job, and there have been improvements just in uh, recent weeks. So when any idea when you will find out if this highway is going to be rebuilt this summer? Well, we've, we continue to ask. We, we're assuming construction can start uh, as soon as the weather breaks uh, just because of the pressure, and, and I do encourage Local residents, so many of your listeners drive uh, number six to keep up the pressure, keep phoning and sending in the uh, the emails. It's it's been confusing. We've had a change in the uh, the Minister of Transportation. Uh, Carillion uh, is in trouble as a company, the company that was uh, received the contract to do this kind of work. Uh, so if we keep up the pressure. We hope we can uh, keep things in order because there's a it's a commuter route. There's a lot of steel, a lot of uh, petroleum product, gypsum, grain goes up and down that highway. How long a stretch are we talking about will be involved in the rebuild? Well, there's there's gigantic signs at each end. They're beautiful signs. They're you know lit up all night. I mean, they did a good job on the warning signs anyway. And it says uh, ten kilometers. So that's between Caledonia and Hagersville. Huh. So, uh, in the meantime, how bad is it? How dangerous is it? I mean, how many of these well, complaints? How many of these complaints uh, of property damage uh, have you received? Yes, yeah, so I'm getting complaints with respect to that, and there is a process for compensation through the uh, the Ontario government, and you have to, uh, you know, kind of dot the i's and cross the t's and uh, provide evidence of damage, primarily. The damage I hear about is to the the front end of a vehicle. I, I mean, you mentioned a uh, smashed windshield from asphalt uh, flying up out of a, one of the patch holes. So there is a process uh, for compensation. We have the information about that in, in our office. And uh, it, it's really just a continual sorry saga with respect to Provincial Highway 6. 
we've had so many detours, as your listeners would know, with respect to the uh, various uh, Caledonia Six Nations uh, standoffs over the last 11 years or so. And these detours are downright dangerous. Those are, are rural secondary roads, and they're not meant for high-speed travel. Uh, is is the primary cause of this just the fact that the highway was delayed while you uh, while this dig was conducted? That seems to be the the problem. Uh, highways have to be, you know, redone every what would it be fifteen years or so, and uh, this one had been let go for several years because of this holdup, because of uh, a, a, an archaeological research project along the highway. I mean this. This route has been there for 250 years. It's not you're not putting in a brand new thoroughfare. It's basically uh, just a, a major resurfacing that's required. I'm not sure. I suppose for political reasons or reasons of political correctness, uh, it was deemed uh, appropriate to do an archaeological uh, research project. What was but found? It things wh- up for a couple of years. Do we know anything? Any of the results of this project? Do we know what was found? Do we know what the significance was? They apparently found the foundation of a of a, a house uh, back in the 1860s, and I, I'm just not sure if there were other to what extent there were uh, indigenous uh, artifacts uh, discovered along the roadbed or in the in the ditches. I'm not sure about that. Um, that that apparently was the holdup. And I guess my question is, and excuse my ignorance here, but why would that not have been discovered when the highway was built originally? Well, yes, and I guess, uh, you know, this route goes back probably 250 years, you know, yeah. the direct as the crow flies from Port Dover up to, uh, up to Hamilton Harbor. Mm-hmm. You know, one of Ontario's original uh, routes, and uh, it, again, there wasn't the call for archaeological digs back in the day. All right. So, uh, what do you uh, have to say to residents? What advice do you have for them who are encountering these issues as everyone waits? Well, be careful, especially when you're driving at night. Like I say, it wasn't too bad last night. I'll be on it again tonight. Uh, but the asphalt does does come out this time of year pretty quickly, and. We're not talking a back street. We're talking uh, heavy truck traffic at uh, fairly, fairly significant highway speeds, and that's uh, where the danger lies. Of course, the nuisance, uh, and it is uh, it's frustrating. To, you, you really can't dodge these uh, potholes. There are so many of them, but there has been progress uh, to the credit of a local company. They've been able to uh, come in there and uh, patch a lot of it. But it, it just seems to be the ongoing sorry saga of Number Six Highway, and it is a it's a lifeline down through our area. There's not many bridges across the Grand River. There's not many ways to uh, to get down into Haldeman County and Norfolk and down to Lake Erie. So it's a it's a major route that way, uh, very significant tourism route in the in the warm weather, and it looks like we're facing yet another prospect of highway construction during the tourist season, which really knocks the stuffing out of areas like Port Dover and Turkey Point and down along the uh, the Lake Erie shore. Hmm. 
All right, Toby Barrett's been with us, MPP for Haldeman Norfolk, talking about the state of Highway 6 uh, between to and fro, and uh, hopefully uh, can be corrected uh, soon. I can't let you go, Toby, without asking your thoughts about what's transpired in the last week in your party, and uh, how. what's the buzz in the party? How do you see things moving forward? Well, moving forward, we now have a, a very interesting situation where there's, what, maybe 100,000 Patrick Brown loyalists. There's a, a voting block. They will have a tremendous influence on the outcome of this uh, leadership race. Their uh, candidate has been taken out, and in their view, unfairly, uh, a politically motivated uh, coup d'etat, if you will. So uh, we'll see in the next few days, uh, many of these people are are angry. They're, they're still engaged. I mean, they feel very strongly about uh, their right to vote in the democratic process. So it'll be very interesting to see where they are now going to park their vote because they are now prevented from uh, voting for Patrick Brown. Toby Barrett has been with us, MPP for Haldeman Norfolk, uh, talking about the condition of Highway 6. Toby, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Scott. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. We've often talked about the city of Hamilton. You know, a lot of the time it gets uh, some unfair knocks and hits, and lots of times there's kudos, but it seems that we're always pointing to the negative uh, instead of the positive. That being said, a survey of city of Hamilton employees, uh, a recent survey, this is the uh, 2017 Our People Survey of Municipal Employees has been presented to city politicians, and it shows uh, overall high levels of job satisfaction, but also some troubling, uh, troubling levels of harassment and bullying by members of the public. Like to talk more about all of this. Chris Murray is with us, City Manager, City of Hamilton, and with us now. Chris, thanks for taking the time. We appreciate this. Well, my pleasure, Scott. Thanks for uh, giving us uh, an opportunity. So uh, as you look at this overall report, again, you know, sometimes we have a tendency in the media to look to the negative and not the positive. As you look at this overall report, how satisfied are you with it? Uh, quite satisfied. I mean, it's about 4,700 of our employees, and there's a total of about 7,800 uh, full-time, part-time employees that work for the city. So 65%, um, you know, filled out the surveys, and uh, it's uh, about 80% of uh, those that did that are unionized workers and the rest non-union. So um, that's actually when compared to other municipalities that do similar surveys, um, that's actually a better turnout than, than the average. The average is usually around 60%, so we did 65 So we're very pleased. Why do some people do these and others not? Um, well, that's a good question. And uh, I, I think... Uh, so are, if, you're ha- if you're happy, do you do it? Do you only do it if you're unhappy? Do we know that? Yeah, I, I think, well, in this particular case, because the last time we did the survey was 2006, and I think we might have got 40% of the organization to turn out and fill out the surveys. I mean, there was a lot of preparation that went into this one, and uh, uh, it wasn't just management. Uh, the union was involved in, in trying to get the word out, encourage people to, you know, make their comments known. So we put a lot of upfront effort into it. And, and I do think, I mean, sometimes, you know, people go, you know, maybe what difference will it make? And, uh, um, you know, uh, you know, and some people are going, well, look, I'm not unhappy. So, you know, what, what's the, what's the point of filling out the survey? But I mean, we've got, we got quite a few people taking the time and we greatly appreciate that. So we got, we got some pretty good insights into what people are thinking in our organization. So what good news stands out for you? 
Um, number one overall was job clarity. Uh, you know, if taxpayers are spending money, if your employees aren't clear on what they're supposed to do, there's something fundamentally wrong, and that actually rated number one hmm. uh, overall. The other one that I, and, and I mean, if I just go through the top five, uh, uh, our, our staff uh, absolutely know who they serve and uh, you know, are quite proud to be providing services to our citizens. So that's not lost on them or nor the you know the the benefits and the and the pay that they get they're they're quite uh they're quite uh, cognizant of uh you know how fortunate they are they're also clear about um you know would they recommend this organization to their friends and family so they're you know they're proud in that sense um you know at the other end of the spectrum though i mean we'll get to the harassment and bullying issue here in a second but um, other things that they, they talked about was, you know, holding, you know, uh, people accountable, uh, co-workers and, and management, uh, mm-hmm. making sure that they, uh, you know, do what they're paid to do. And, uh, you know, and, and that's interesting because, uh, you know, I, I completely agree with them. So, and again, this is a, a large percentage of the population that filled this out were unionized. And so to me, it says that people get that, you know, they're working for the taxpayer and that, uh, and they want to do a good job, and uh, you know, there's certainly some of the stats uh, speak to uh, resources, and some of it speaks to a need for more recognition. You know, sometimes a simple thank you to a, a coworker or, or mm. a staff member is is in order. So, you know, a lot of it, I think, is uh, you know, uh, I think it's great that we're we're hearing it the way we are, but uh, you know, some of it is just you know being respectful and, and decent to each other. Uh, you talked about the earlier survey in 2006. Do you sense more pride in the city since then? Um, I would say yes, and I would say what will differentiate this survey from, from the last one was uh, follow-up. Um, you know, we're now communicating the results. We're going to bring it right to our front line. Uh, it's not to say everything's rosy. I don't want anyone listening thinking that uh, we don't have our challenges, that uh, there's some parts of the organization that are... Uh, struggling more than others. But, but it's also um, good to know. point out it's not hell either. Is that accurate? Oh, my God. Well, it's not. It's <laughs> clearly not hell. In fact, you know, the, the company that we hired uh, to do this work uh, has a database of uh, a lot of other municipalities here in Ontario. So, um, you know, so our results are actually benchmarked against other municipalities. And, uh, you know, uh, and so we're, we're actually, you know, not just from the number of people filling out the survey, are we better than the average um, you know, it's it's clear that there's uh, you know there's progress being made relative to other municipalities uh, in terms of uh, you know job satisfaction and engagement and and things of that nature. So um, yeah, oh, it's definitely far from hell. Um, it's uh, it's you know, but again, I, I don't want anyone to think that you know we don't have some things that we need to go address. Uh, so how do you explain and, and maybe clarify what is it that's happening to employees? What is it that, that that's being reported as as an activity that's up? So one of one of the, one area that we wanted to focus on was you know the whole matter of uh, uh, health and safety and wellness and and the reason why is is not just because it's a good idea to ask those questions. I mean, don't forget there's legislation in the province of Ontario that requires you to provide a healthy, safe, and a well environment for people to work at. I think, you know, we used to focus on trips and falls, but now, you know, uh, mental health is becoming more and more of an important issue. And uh, it, it's, 
it's not a nice to have kind of item. It's a must item that, uh, you know, as a CAO of an organization this size, hmm. uh, I have to pay attention to it. So we looked at it in three different ways. We looked at it from a coworker to coworker uh, basis. We looked at it from a, a boss to a to a staff member uh, basis, and then we looked at it as a as a staff to our to our client, as we would call her citizen perspective. And uh, uh, from a coworker to coworker basis, um, vast majority of people don't experience harassment, harassment and bullying amongst coworkers. I mean, there are certainly some that experience it on on a weekly, daily basis, but that percentage is very low. In fact, when we look at that low percentage compared to other municipalities, we're actually a little bit lower than the average of other municipalities, which is good. From a boss to a, a, a frontline worker standpoint, it's actually even better. There's a, It's less frequent that you have a harassing and bullying behavior on a weekly or daily basis. Uh, in fact, there again, it's uh, our, our numbers, in fact, we're better than the average in terms of municipalities in Ontario, certainly. Where it jumps, though, is the relationship between our staff and and what they sometimes experience in the community. So that's where uh, it was higher than coworker to coworker or boss to to staff. In that case, it's it's noticeably higher. And what's even a little bit more concerning is is that when compared to other municipalities, we're we're higher than them, uh, not by a great deal, but by a, a noticeable amount. So. But I think the question really is, is you know, is why is that happening? And and I would say first, everyone has to keep in mind that we offer seventy-two different services, so we have we're a very large, diverse business. Does this and, does this does this disapproval? Uh, does this is this around certain departments, certain areas, obviously that that are that are affected more than others? Well, we're we're certainly able to uh, discern that through. Uh, uh, the the uh, surveys that people filled out. I mean, I'm going to be a little careful not to uh, um, uh, violate one of the basic principles, and that there's there is confidentiality. So I'm not going to kind of right. pinpoint a particular division, but uh, you know, but you know, it, I, I'll just give you for an example. I mean, I was out on Monday um, with uh, uh, one of our uh, parking by law enforcement officers, and, and truly, it was just coincidence that I did it on Monday, but. Uh, and I, I do go out regularly to, uh, you know, meet with frontline staff, whether it be in forestry or cemeteries or, or uh, you know, uh, help desk or whatever. I mean, it's it's kind of a practice that uh, I like doing. Um, you know, that's a tough job. I mean, if uh, if you're driving a bus or you're picking up garbage or you're fixing potholes now, uh, or you're issuing tickets, I mean, you know, you know, people will express themselves in ways that. Uh, you know, um, is, is very challenging. And, and Lionel, who I was with on Monday, you know, I asked him, I said, what does a good day look like? And he says, well, when I don't get yelled at. <laughs> oh, you know? no. I mean, imagine, yeah. you know, that mm. my comment to him was, you know, vast majority of people that work for the city of Hamilton don't expect to get yelled at. No. You know, and uh, and I understand people's frustrations. And, uh, uh, but, um, you know, as we went about his, uh, you know, what he does on a daily basis, you know, people would come out uh, as he was writing up tickets, and it's amazing what happens when you treat someone, you know, with a bit of respect. It respects a two-way street is all I'm saying, and we all know that. And uh, these people that were getting tickets, you know, that, uh, you know, he, he gave them options. You know, you can go fill the meter, and therefore I don't have to write you a ticket. 
And it's sometimes it's just, you know, how we treat each other that uh, can make all the difference in the world. And, and I have a responsibility to my front line to, uh, you know, surface these issues. And this is why, Scott, I so appreciate you giving me a chance to talk about it. You know, uh, obviously anybody who's going to get pulled over or a bylaw officer that's going to give them a ticket, it, it, you know, it's not a happy day for the person involved. I, I'm sure many police officers encounter the same thing when they have to pull somebody over for speeding or running a red light or, or, or what have you. That being said, normally people don't complain unless they're upset about something. So, sure. and again, and I don't want to get into the departments and, and where there's issues, that, that's between two, you between you and your employees, but that right. being said, uh, can you somehow look at this and say, well, maybe we're not delivering the service? People are, like, for example, there's situations with the HSR. Is that overflowing into this? I mean, obviously, people have this perception that it's late or that it may be late at times. Uh, we've we've got stories in the news about that today, or or potholes and such. So, do people just get angry at certain city services or lack of certain city services and take it out on all of them? Well. I don't know if it's take them out, uh, take it out on all of them. I mean, you give you the example of a uh, bus service. You know, imagine if you're a student and you're relying on our bus service to get you to an exam. Yeah, uh, it's a pressure situation. And if that bus is late, and not necessarily any fault of the driver at all or anyone's uh, that you know is is on that route that day, um, you know, you you understand how someone might you know you know be stressed and and react in in a certain way and. So I mean we're not we're not sitting here uh, we're not naive about uh, how sometimes what we do uh, will exacerbate a situation, um, but it, you know then there's the other end of the spectrum too which I think it deserves equal time and sometimes people just uh, will vent yeah. and uh, and there may be a whole host of reasons why they're doing it and and I don't walk a mile in everyone's shoes so. Um, but you know sometimes the, the treatment uh, is, let's just say respectfully is is unfair. And uh, and I think that's that's probably some of what underlies the the stats that we're getting. Um, but now what we'll do is you know we're going to go down and we're going to have very direct conversations with people about just exactly why uh, they're saying what they're saying. But more importantly, and this is really has got to be the difference in what we do this time around with our survey. What are the actions we can take? You know, and how what can, can we you what can you do? Our, and what can you do with something like that, Chris? Because, again, it, it's, it, you know, it's a case of, of, of someone not treating somebody with respect. Uh, yeah. Is that more education for the public? Is that more education for the workers on how to handle yeah. this? What do you do? Yeah, I, I think you've said two of the things that uh, I think are important. I mean, I, I've gone to other municipalities and I've seen, you know, uh, you know signage that uh, draws attention to the issue of, you know, how we treat each other. And so maybe sometimes it's as simple as a cue like that. Um, but you're right. I think it is, you know, making sure that our staff uh, know how to de-escalate uh, situations that sometimes get escalated, uh, you know, without uh, really knowing uh, or having, you know, maybe a, a way of handling. And so, you know, how you resolve conflict. I mean, for some people, I mean, that might be great training for our staff. And then, you know, but, you know, and I commend you what you're doing right now, Scott, and that giving us a bit of a chance to put it out there that, uh, you know, that maybe sometimes, um, despite your frustrations, and, but, you know, as I say, the example I have on Monday was people were very quick to, I'm pretty sure they, you know, they have no idea who I am, and yeah. so there's just two of us there, and, uh, um, you know, and people approached... Uh, you're taking your life in your own, Chris, you're taking your life in your own <laughs> hands. <laughs> well, you know what, though, um, uh, you know, and this came through in the survey. You know, uh, you know, 
people will form certain opinions about government workers, but man, oh man, I tell you, I worked in the private sector. I had no idea really what the public sector was all about. Uh, you know, and I'm not raw rawing anything here. I'm just telling you what I've experienced. There's some very special people that work for government that do some pretty incredible stuff, way beyond the job description. And uh, and I think some of that really came through on the survey. And so, um, you know, we in our in our positions uh, in in leadership positions want to make sure that uh, we carry this right through, and we, you know, we we take actions where we ought to be taking actions. And you know, what you're doing right now gives us a little bit of a chance to, you know, highlight one facet of the the work that uh, some of the results that came through. So pretty special for us. Obviously, this is a great time for, for Hamilton and for Hamiltonians. We've talked many times about turning the corner of the Renaissance, all of that. Obviously, now we are experiencing it. All you have to do is walk downtown. I always say, go down every two weeks because something's different. Something's there that yeah. wasn't there before. Uh, is yeah. that reflective in this, do you think? Yeah, I, you know what? I mean, we're loving it. Uh, a lot of us, and, and especially the people It's a good time to be now. here, isn't it? It's, you know, we're, there's a wave that's happening. We want to ride it. Uh, you know, we just did a, a number of budget presentations. And if you look at our performance metrics in terms of everything from planning economic development to, to our folks in our healthy and safe communities department and public works, I mean, yeah, we have some challenges when it, uh, right now we will address. I think uh, transit issues will be addressed. We have a very good management group there. Uh, we want to work with those staff to uh, turn those things around. But I mean, as an urban planner by profession, I mean, what's happening here, it's like I'm a kid in a candy store. It's just fantastic. Yeah. But the other thing that we're really uh, paying attention to is that we run the place uh, like a business. Uh, you know, yeah, we have hearts and heads, but we, you know, we realize that, you know, taxpayers want transparency, they want accountability, they want to see value for their money. And, uh, you know, having a sense of how our staff feel about various things uh, and what we need to work on is uh, is good because, uh, you know, we want to perform well. At the end of the day, Chris, how much of this is about urban planning and, and uh, uh, managing the city or is it just managing people? You know, whether you're managing a, a steel plant, a Tim Hortons, a city, a, a car factory, a whatever, a sports team, it's all about managing the people more than it is the actual project no well I, I don't know if i want to call it managing the people i mean there's uh you know i, I think you know my when i when i look at my frontline staff and uh you know and they come to work and they want to do a fantastic job they want opportunities i guess you could call it management but uh you know uh, there is this kind of a collective going on i mean uh, in this community not just staff obviously citizens that are seeing opportunities that maybe they didn't think existed before i've always thought when i came here back in 1995 you know man hamilton is way better than people real people sometimes living here realize yeah. i mean this is a this is a truly just travel the country and you'll know what you have here and i you know there's lots of work to do and you know and being held accountable through the media with people, you know, you know, pointing out things that aren't right, that's fine. You know, I can tell you, Red Hill, is as challenging a project as that was, um, you know, the, the Don McLean's and the Linda Classics and how they stood up and they fought for the environment. I mean, I would never tell them that it was the best thing that could ever happen for the environment. Of course not. But, man, their voices made it better. Um, and uh, they would have preferred it not be built. I completely get what they're saying, but at the end of the day, uh, because people stood up and pointed out things, and, and we hear it about open government, we hear it about accountability, 
you know, about performance measurement. We hear it about a bunch of, you know, those voices, you know, they may not feel that they're being heard. They are. Mm. And, and we're doing our best to do things much better, run it better. And uh, it's certainly, uh, you know, I'm nothing without the front line. And uh, and uh, we've got uh, we've got some very good union executives that work, uh, you know, and hold uh, hold us accountable, and uh, and are committed to making Hamilton, you know, better. It ain't perfect, I can tell you that, but uh, you know, um, you know, I, I just do enjoy um, the people I get to work with, and this is, I think, a great community. Uh, Chris Murray has been with us, City Manager, City of Hamilton, talking about the 2017 Our People Survey, municipal employees, and how they're feeling, and for the most part, not too bad. And, you know, maybe it wouldn't hurt to smile at one of them every so often. (laughs) Chris, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. Good luck. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. We've certainly talked lots on this show about scams, phone scams, door-to-door salesman scams. And, you know, it seems to me these things were at their peak when the government was offering all of these uh, uh, programs, I guess, to get you to buy a new furnace or get you to buy a uh, an efficient air conditioner or a new water heater. It seemed that, you know, they were banging on your door every other day. And, you know, very much like the phone scams, a lot of people get taken by these. And I've got my own anecdotal uh, evidence of this. I mean, I've had the same situation in our neighborhood. I'm sure you've had one in yours. Uh, Well, it appears that the days of door-to-door sales could be coming to an end as Ontario bans door-to-door sales. However, there's some... There are some exceptions. What does that mean? And is there really any teeth to any of this? Let's bring in Sean O'Shea, consumer reporter for Global News, and he is with us now. Sean, thanks for taking the time to join us. We appear we appreciate this. Thanks, Scott, for having me. Appreciate so this has been in the in the works for a while. Uh, obviously, there were lots of complaints on this in the past. Where are we now, and, and how much teeth does all of this have? Well, uh, there's uh, some molars and some wisdom teeth in this, I think. Uh, Starting tomorrow, uh, a large swath of contractors and salespeople can come to your door, but if they come to your door and sign you up, you might end up with something for free. So here's what I mean. The law takes effect tomorrow. It effectively says that people that go to doors selling air conditioners and air cleaners and duct cleaning services and furnaces and water heaters and purifiers and all that stuff, uh, that they can only come to your door and do a legal deal if you invited them. So if they knock on Scott's door hmm. and they tell you a story and you sign up and you say, sure, I'm going to get that rent-to-own furnace for $15,000, and then you realize uh, later that this was something that they couldn't do, you have the legal right at that point to say, sorry, flip off, I'm keeping the, the furnace, and you're not getting paid. This is what the, the law allows you to do. It allows it forces them to get an invitation from you to come to their door to do a deal. If they're unsolicited and they do a deal, deal's null and void. So anything theoretically that you sign at your front door could be void. Well, right now the law says that you've got a 10-day cooling off period, which is, is okay, except the problem is with a lot of these scammers who, you know, I, I did a story last summer on a guy that showed up at somebody's door and said, hey, um, the, the furnace you've got is actually under warranty and we need to replace it. Right. The guy wasn't, you know, wasn't naive, but he was believing this guy. They put in a furnace immediately, and then he found out he owed $10,000. So the 10-day cooling off period only works to a point because they want to get this stuff installed as quickly as possible. These rules are a lot tougher 
than what we see right now. So what if, Sean, you have paid for the service or whatever it is that you've got? Is this all uh, uh, null and void? I mean, does it, it, it? how would you get your money back? Well, unfortunately, it's not retroactive. So if anybody had somebody knock on the door and they did a deal that they're into, this isn't going to help you, unfortunately. I mean, I could do a story every day of the year on somebody that is dissatisfied because of what happened. But going forward, it means that if you're one of these particular categories, so it's not the guy that washes your windows. It's not somebody trying to sell you something else. But those categories like, you know, furnaces and air conditioners and, you know, that kind of thing, they need an invitation to come to your door. If they don't have that invitation and they sign you up, you're going to be in a situation where you could keep the product. And, and so the question is, to what extent are these companies going to, to follow the law? What they're supposed to do is they're supposed to come to your door. They could say, listen, uh, Scott, uh, we think you should get a new furnace, and here's the deal. They are supposed to await an invitation for you to call them back and schedule a, an appointment. And at that point, you could actually have a, a, a valid contract signed. But day of, where they knock on your door, it's no deal. And again, getting back to that day of uh, no deal, what if you, as soon as they put that furnace in, an hour later, you handed them a check? Are you pretty much at their mercy? Do they have to give you that money back? Or uh, how would you go about getting that money back? The way it usually works, Scott, with these kinds of things is it's, it's financing over a period of time. It's typically, right. you know, they'll say, you want to rent it, we'll add it to your gas bill or your right. electric bill. So people don't often realize the extent of the problem until they get the first bill and then right. they make some inquiries. So it's not like they would have cut a check. It's that the product would be in their basement or uh, hooked right. up. And then they, when, they, when they go to, to, to complain about it, the teeth within the new legislation basically says if they didn't follow the rules, they didn't keep the proper records, and they didn't get an invitation from you to show up, and they did a deal with you, that deal is now and void. You keep the stuff. That's right. a big change from what, what, what exists right now. So obviously contractors will be less, uh, more reluctant to put something into your house if they know they're not going to get paid for it. Well, that's the intention. Yeah. That's the idea. But I, I, in my experience of doing consumer reporting and reporting for 30-plus years, you, you can never underestimate the ability of a salesperson to find some kind of a means of, of either a loophole or, or just, you know, trying to convince people that they don't have any rights. So if the message it gets out, and we hope it gets out to all of your many listeners, that, you know, as of tomorrow, this rule is in effect. I, I tell consumers, I tell our viewers that, you know, don't sign anything at the door ever. Like, get the yeah. paperwork, let them leave something for you, think about it. You know, be the caller. Don't let them sign you up because I don't know about you. I live in a condo now, so nobody can do this to me anymore. Mm. But when I lived in Oakville for many, many years, we got the knocks on the door, and it was it was annoying. And it's often hard to distinguish the people that are legitimate from those who aren't. Isn't that the truth? Why just these categories, Sean? Well, there was some lobbying that went into effect, and these are the categories that are the most problematic. I mean, face it. You know, if you if somebody comes to say, look, I want to wash your windows for the course of the season, or I want to do snow shoveling, it's typically not a big ticket item. It's a few hundred dollars or less. Right. But, you know, in the case of the story I did last week on this woman, this woman had a door-to-door knocker out in Whitby, and between the air filter, the furnace, the air conditioner, the HEPA filter, the water filtration, it was $39,000. Oh this was a woman who was getting severe treatment for cancer. She wasn't thinking straight. She was an educated woman who was a retired teacher. She got stuck with a $39,000 bill that she's obligated to pay on her gas bill. So, you know, 
it's it's often very hard to know who is right and who's not. But it's those big ticket items that they wanted to go after. What about uh, as you mentioned, having these put right on your gas bill or what have you? I mean, is there any sort of recourse there? How do they get access to put this on your bill? Usually, is that not because these are government programs? And I remember, you know, people in the last five years banging on my door, and it was all because, you know what, the government's going to give you a new water heater, the government's going to give you a new uh, furnace. I mean, that was the incentive behind all of this. Sure, there there are agreements between, you know, the gas companies and the utilities to allow these things to happen. I think that's problematic as well, because if somebody, you know, was forced to, you know, and you can't turn off your gas, people, and, and so the, the woman I mentioned is an example she has to pay her monthly bill because she has to have gas in her house. But her gas bill now is another $400 or so because she's paying the, the, the monthly payments for all these, these devices that she didn't even need. She had a new, relatively new water heater and, and furnace anyway. So that is a problem. But the, the biggest problem is the lies at the door, the deception, the deceit, the people that will say anything and everything to get your name on a signature. So please, please, law or not, don't sign anything in the door unless you call the people. Or, as I say, if it's a small-time thing, it's window washing, it's something like that. But if it's replacing furnaces and all that sort of thing, if they want to leave their information, let them leave it. But please don't sign it at the door. It is so hard to get out of. Now, because people, and this has drawn so much attention, do you get the feeling that these are moving from the door to the phone? Because it seems we get uh, weekly scams, you know, reported scams of, of people on the, you know, whether it's from the CRA, from this, that, or the other, uh, who, who have done either internet scams or, or some sort of phone scam in order to get people to, uh, to surrender funds that way. A- any chance of this uh, translating over to, to, to what's happening with telemarketing? I think, Scott, you're already seeing the, the, the proliferation. You talk about weekly. I get them daily. I get them on my work yeah. phone. I get them on my cell phone. That's a whole different cast of characters who are also out to try to steal your money. I still think that even though this law is in place, you're going to see a lot of people at the doors, and you not everybody follows the news. Not everybody listens to programs like yours, although they should. Not everybody makes themselves aware of, of what's going on. So there's still a vulnerable audience out there, uh, frequently seniors, uh, frequently new Canadians who don't know the rules and don't realize that somebody with a hard hat at the door isn't necessarily the gas company. So I think you're still going to see a lot of people coming to the door. The trick is going to be in, in consumers who are aware of things and, and those first cases where somebody puts all of this equipment into somebody's house and then they say, stick it because I'm not paying you for it, and the law allows them to do that. That's going to be a game changer. Uh, as you said, though, I mean, not everybody listens to the news and such. Um, I'm guessing there's still people out there that are going to be trying to take, it adva- take advantage of these people. Will there be any sort of education campaign or anything to, to tell people what their rights are? The government of Ontario has been doing that in a soft way over the last few weeks. And, you know, with the law coming out into force tomorrow, you know, we did a story on it last week. I mean, I think you're going to see a lot more reporting on it. I think you'll probably see a small ad campaign, uh, and I would hope that it gets promoted because there, there's a lot to say about the law. This is one law that has the potential to, to turn off a lot of the bad guys at the door. I hope it's promoted. I hope people talk about it. I hope if, if people have parents out there who live alone or you know kids or people who are more vulnerable to... I, I've got no problem, and you're probably the same way, if somebody coming to my door and politely saying, leave me the stuff, I, I can't talk to you. But a lot of people feel guilted. Yeah. by people at the door. And those are the people that often are the most vulnerable and, and end up paying the most money. 
Sean, obviously you've seen this a lot. Uh, do you think this law is going to change behavior? I hope it does, but again, it depends on the extent to which people actually get out there and say, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sign up now. Or like I said, the idea that, you know, you want to put the furnace in, uh, I'm not paying, I'm not paying for it. So, you know, yeah. people educating themselves and, and we hope that, that people are not as vulnerable, but I, I, I have my doubts just because there's so many people out there and so many unscrupulous people. And listen, not everybody that comes to your door is a bad guy. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that. But so many of the people have have a lie and a half-truth, and they get your name on something, and then you're in big trouble. Let me ask you this, show, though, Sean. Do many businesses still do this legitimately? I mean, is there that much money to be made door-to-door for any small business this way? This, In my experience, the people that are doing these door-to-door are companies that are not the most scrupulous, shall we say. They're, they're people that often get people signed up, they get the installation done, then they sign the debt over to another company, another financing type of company. So it's not like, you know, Joe's heating and air conditioning down the street. It's, it's other kinds of companies that have set themselves up specifically for the purposes of hooking people into contracts and then getting paid by, by the company that will pay them. So to answer your question, I think most of the people that are selling these kinds of things are selling overpriced products and services that yeah. people either don't need or don't want, but end up getting stuck with because they've signed their contract. Hmm. Sean O'Shea's been with us, Consumer Reporter, Global News. Make sure you're watching Global News tonight for more. Uh, Sean, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Thank you very much. Have a great day. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.